Good morning, church. Good morning. Am I jumping the gun? Is it my turn? Let's have the kingdom kids uh, go to their class. Yeah. Thank you for your prayers. I was feeling really rough last night, feeling terrible, in fact. Uh, feeling a little bit today, better today, uh, just, uh, just aches and chills and coughing, a headache, that kind of stuff. So I'm keeping my distance. I'm keeping my distance from you. I hope I don't back into the communion table. Man, what a wonderful job the uh, praise team and the praise band did today. And I'm very grateful for you guys. Um, wish I could stay for the love one another dinner. I have looked forward to this love one another dinner. I have looked forward to being able to do the, uh, well, there's a little game afterwards. So don't jump up from your table and, uh, and leave the building so quickly. There's going to be a game uh, a little bit later on. So I wish I could stay for that. But, uh, hey, I don't know what's going on with me, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to head home and, uh, <clears throat> and relax. Let me have you turn over in your scriptures to Colossians. We're going to start this series today and try to go through the whole book within uh, seven uh, messages. The Supremacy of Christ is the title of the sermon, but boy, Mike... Uh, what a, a communion meditation, uh, being that he talked about a hero, and that's what I'm talking about today, that Jesus is our hero. And I have looked forward to bringing this message from God's Word today. So let's go ahead and read 13 through 20, beginning with 13. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers, authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Verse 18, he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Let's pray. Lord God, this text has so much to say to us today, and I ask blessings on it to deliver this text. I pray for the hearts and minds of those listening today. May they be good students of the word today and not lose attention, no distractions, that we might look at Jesus, our hero. I praise your name, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we do love our heroes, and as I was thinking about heroes in film uh, this morning, I was thinking about Matt Damon. You know, a lot of folks love uh, the series of films that he had starred in. Mark Wahlberg, uh, Robert Downey Jr. has made a big comeback from uh, years ago. Uh, Hugh Jackman. And then, you know, a lot of folks like that new uh, Captain America. Uh, Chris uh, Evans playing Steve Rogers in, in kind of like an innocent role, if you saw the first film. Uh, but 
I want to remind the church that masculinity is in trouble. Masculinity is endangered. Gillette Razor Company, many of you possibly saw something from them back in January of this year, several weeks ago, and they called manhood today toxic masculinity. Well, I disagree. I disagree because God gave us masculinity. He gave us manhood, and it's not toxic. I'll tell you what's toxic. Evil men are toxic. That's what's toxic. Evil women are toxic, but not our, our, our feminists, our masculinity. That's not toxic. Rude men are to- toxic. Misguided men, worldly men, immature men, broken men can be toxic. But manhood, masculinity, were created and designed by God. And they're not toxic. Manhood is, is called taking care of your mother. Manhood is called taking care of your sister. Manhood is called taking care of your, your wife. Manhood uh, is called loving. It, it is to have a woman to love, a work to do, and a dream to fulfill. And that's Jesus. Jesus has a woman to love. It's the church. It's his bride. And Jesus loves us. And, and, and Jesus has a, 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 will, a work to do, and that's to please the Father. And that's what he did while he was on earth. He pleased God the Father. And Jesus has a dream, and it's for the saving of mankind. His creation went the sinful route, and this world has become so polluted uh, with sin and evil and selfishness, and he has got a kingdom, the church, his bride, where he is calling us to holiness. He's calling us to come back to be his people, and that he has planned a place beyond this realm that we would go. Those who live by faith, those who want to please him, we will go to his new heaven and we'll leave this world of toxicity. Toxicity? Never mind. You know where I'm headed with that word and I just can't get it out right now. Okay, so I love this text. Jesus is my hero. You know, Mike and I had not talked about that theme of hero and I thought that was so cool. I don't think we did. But anyway... Uh, Jesus can do miracles just by speaking the word. You know, today in heaven, all he has to do is think, and it can take place. And we pray that he would say yes to our prayers to see healing take place in people's lives. But he can speak the word. He can move men's hearts. He can restore families. He He can build and destroy empires or nations if he so pleases in his good timing, but not by Hollywood trick cameras or smoke or hidden wires or or not by mirrors, not by trickery or fakery. He speaks the word by his authority, and it is done. He is exactly what he claimed to be. He is exactly whom he claimed to be. Our Jesus 
is the Son of God. First of all, we see in our text that He rescued us. In verses 13 and 14 again, He delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. I I love this idea. He is my hero because He rescued us. We did it did ourselves in when we sinned against God Almighty. And he said, I forgive you. When we live by faith and come unto him, he says, I forgive you. And he transfers us from the domain or dominion of darkness. He transfers us when we come by faith and we are baptized into him. Then we are transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son. Praise God. For this, I, I love it that he transforms men out of a life of pornography. He transfers people out of a life of addicted to illegal drugs and alcohol. That he uh, delivers people from sin and the most toxic one of all, Satan. And he delivers us from that dominion and he transfers us into the kingdom of his beloved son. But he also delivers people that cheat. He also delivers people that lie and envy and have jealousy. And he he delivers people that have prejudice and pride and hatred. He delivers people who have the lack of a forgiving spirit. Our Jesus is our hero. He can do that. The transforming power and and the regeneration transforms us into his kingdom. Uh, I I like the two little twin boys. They were 10 years old and they were coming forward for baptism. And the preacher knew that the boys were so young that he thought he would ask them questions uh, and and set up their baptism because the people were wondering, are are these 10-year-old boys, are they really ready? We think like that from time to time, don't we? And so the preacher said to the twins, he said, what does this decision mean to you today? And the twin little boys said, this means we have quit the devil's gang and we've joined the Lord's gang. I believe that is exactly what it is. The 10-year-old twin boys nailed it. That's exactly what we are doing. The kingdom of redemption where we are purchased We are bought back by his blood that was shed from his body on the cross of Calvary. A kingdom where its members are forgiven. His blood was shed to wash away our sins and to give us the right to be called children of God. Here in Colossians 2, 12, we'll be studying this next week, Lord willing. In 2.12, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God. You see, there's nothing to the preacher's hands when you're being baptized. There's nothing to the water. It's just water. It's your faith in the power and the working of God. It's his energy that influences your life when you're in faith being baptized into him. It is Christ's power. And that's the kind of God that he is. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, he is a rescuing hero, and he's come into our life. Praise God. Secondly, today, he is the exact representation of God the Father. In Colossians 1 and verse 15, it reads, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Now, how can something invisible have an image? You see, it can't. 
God is spirit, he's truth, he's light. He doesn't have an image. Mankind has never seen him. And so praise God, what does this mean? It means that Jesus Christ came down and took on flesh that we might be able to see an image of love, an image of holiness, an image of light, an image of truth. Because when Jesus came, he represented the Father. Praise his name. Since God has been invisible, man has been unable to see him or even comprehend God. God sent Jesus into the world to be that image. The exact representation of God. I want to go over to uh, Philippians. Now, if you're in the first page of Colossians, you're already at Philippians. You can just turn the page forward and there you go. In chapter 2 and verses 6, 7, and 8, we find these words. Who, though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Amen. Jesus took on flesh. God took on flesh that we might see the image. When you see Jesus' character, you're seeing the character of his Father in heaven and praise his name. The Hebrew writer in the back of your New Testament, uh, he wrote in that letter, it's recorded in first chapter in verse 3. He is the radiance of His glory. That is, Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His nature. And upholds all things by the word of His power. When He had made purification of sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He represents God's character Perfectly. The word, the wording, exact representation in the Greek means engraving or to cut into. So if you could imagine, I'm using the English standard version today, the ESV, and it says of Hebrews 1.3, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint How about that? It's as if God the Father in flesh imprinted himself, his Son, God, deity, into flesh, and he represents, Jesus represents God the Father perfect, perfectly. Do you have to ask why we love Jesus, our hero? Wow. When Jesus walked on the earth and he walked as none other than God, flesh, God, Man, I'm going over to John's gospel, the first chapter. You can find that. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. So if you find any of those books, John is right there in the midst of them. And John chapter 1, 1 through 3, then I'll drop down to verse 14. 1 through 3 reads, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word, uh-huh, was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. Wow. Then 14 reads, And the word became flesh 
and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Only Son from the Father. Did you pick that up? The only Son. The Word was God and the Word was flesh. It is God, man. Jesus uh, was the visible representation of his invisible Father. No one in all of history could be chosen to be the exact representation, the exact imprint of the Father but Jesus. Billy Graham, as a righteous man as he was, could have never fulfilled that role, and he admitted it when he lived. Mother Teresa could not. Father Abraham could not. Moses could not. Elijah could not. Paul, the apostle, could not. Wrote two-thirds of our New Testament scriptures. And he could not. And John the Baptist could not. John said, I am not the light, but I came to bear witness of the light. In verse 29 of John chapter 1, it says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That was not John. He pointed to Jesus on the banks of the Jordan River that day. Behold the Lamb of God. Jesus told his followers in John's Gospel, chapter 14, verse 7, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. The exact imprint. The exact representation. He said to Philip in verse 9 of John 14, He who has seen me has seen the Father. Now, an example of this representation, I know I could go to the technological world, but I choose to go to the Easter basket. How many of you ever received silly putty when you were a kid in the Easter basket? Uh, it might not have been in the Easter basket, but you've, you've had the silly putty. And uh, that silly putty, did you ever, I mean, besides squishing it, you know, and, and doing all kinds of neat things with it, did you press it out on the funny section of the newspaper? Yes, you did. And you peeled it up, and what do you have? In color, you had the exact representation of what the funny section said, wherever you pressed out the silly putty. And so it's a photocopy. By the way, do you know when silly putty was invented? Because I think every age group thinks that it was invented in their time because they got it and it was, they'd never seen it before. It, silly putty was invented in 1943. I thought it was invented in 1969. Okay. Exact photocopy. And the Bible said that God the Father is a spirit. He's truth. He's life. He's love. He's holy. And Jesus came and represented the Father. Praise God. Jesus lived the Father's will perfectly. And Jesus is that exact imprint. Of the Father. Not only is Jesus the exact representation of God, Jesus is God. In, in John 1 1, we read it just a while ago, and the Word was God. John 10 30, I and my Father, I and my Father are one. In John 10 38, the Father is in me, and I am in the Father. In John 12 45, he who sees me sees the one who sent me. And then that text we had looked at earlier, Jesus, all of deity uh, is, is in Jesus. This is phenomenal. This is a phenomenal 
concept. Look, in chapter 2 of Colossians, verse 9, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Jesus is God. Praise his name. Now, what's the big deal? Why is this a big deal? Well, it's a big deal because of what was going on in that age because of the teachings of the Greeks. And the teachings of the Greeks said that all matter is evil. Okay, that's a false premise. And since it's the foundation, it's going to be false everywhere it goes. It's false everywhere it touches because your first premise is false. Uh, that matter is not evil, but they thought it was, and they taught that it was. And God could not have come to earth in the flesh because all matter is evil. And if Jesus is God, God would have never sent Jesus to be his representation, they said. And Paul is writing in this letter, oh, Jesus is the exact imprint of his father. And so Paul is teaching against the false teachers of that day. That's why it's a big deal. Uh, Secondly, they believe that creation was evil. Well, if all matter is evil, then of course creation could not be from God. And Paul says, oh no, he created all things. I want you to go back to verses 16 and 17 of our text. 16 and 17 reads this way. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. I love that. I love that aspect that all things hold together because of Jesus. And then third, they taught since matter is evil, uh, that Jesus was not the one and only Son of God, that Jesus was one of many Greeks taught, that Jesus was one of many mediators to God, that Jesus was one of many peacemakers to God. And Paul writes again, nope, that's not true. Jesus Christ is the only mediator between man and God. And it's so important for us to realize that today. Uh, it's a text that you love. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting or eternal life. And then I love that text over in uh, Romans. Uh, turn with me, please. I'm, I'm going to find it along with you in Romans 5, 8. Romans 5, 8. It says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There is only one that has ever been eligible to die for us. And there's only one that ever died for us to bring us eternal salvation. Praise his name. But I'm going to go quickly over to Ephesians. Now, if you've ever hunted for Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians, you know how tiny a book they are. And so we're in Colossians. We go back, there's Philippians, there's Ephesians. They're small, that's exactly how easy it is to find them. And in chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, 4 and 5, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, Even when we were dead in our trespasses, 
made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. There are many scriptures in our Bible uh, that were addressing in that time period, addressing false teaching. We read them and we're oblivious to what in the world were they getting at back then. We're just enjoying the text for what it says about Jesus. But they were combating false doctrine. They were combating false teaching. In Colossians 1.16, it simply says there, He created all things. And matter is not evil. Jesus created all things. And yeah, the world says, oh yeah, well, things in the church. He created all things. And then the world says, oh yeah, he created spiritual things. And the Bible says he created all things. And the skeptic says, you guys keep it in the church. That's where he created. Out here in the real world, and I'm telling you, he created the real world. He created all things. The doxology, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father and Son and Holy Ghost. Amen. And that's how we used to sing that long drawn out amen. Amen. John chapter 1 verse 3. Through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. Hebrews 1, verses 1 and 2. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets. Mm -hmm. Through the prophets. At many times and in various ways. But in these last days, that is when he was writing this, in these last days, he says, he has spoken to us by his Son, who is, a, who is appointed heir of all things, and through him made the universe. A hundred million, is it a hundred billion galaxies? How can you even count that many? He created them all. He spoke it into space and gave us time when he invented the sun and the rotation of the earth. Wow the majestic mountains, the peaceful meadows, the golden sunsets, the dew-drenched mornings, the beautiful, complicated human body, light, gravity, you name it, he created it. And he allows man to study the mathematics of our creation under a microscope or in a test tube to see what he has done. Praise God. Praise God. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Yeah. That word God, capital G, lowercase o-d, is Elohim. Elohim. E-L-O-H-I-M. He's creator. He's all-powerful. He's strong. He's prominent. He's mighty. Elohim carries the idea of governing power, omnipotence. Colossians 1.16, again, all things were created uh, by him and for him. Can you conceive that you and I were procreated that we would serve him? That we would serve him. We were procreated to serve him. The exalted Jesus died for the lowly me. 
the lowly, you. Resurrected for the lowly, buried for the lowly, resurrected for the lowly, so the lowly could have life. And therefore, this lowly, me and you, must put on Christ and live for him. Ethically holy. Ethically holy. And there in Colossians 1, the next verse, verse 17, he is before all things and in him all things hold together. You take God out of the universe and the sun will cease to shine. You take God out of the universe, which is impossible, then rain will cease to fall. Wind will cease to blow. Fire will cease to burn. You take God out of the world and man will cease to breathe. Babies will cease to be born. Everyone will die and go before God's judgment hall. No, you don't want to get rid of God. All things hold together by him. He created those dynamic principles we learned about in science class in high school. And those principles are true because he created them and they are long-lasting until he calls this world to judgment and it's destroyed and recreated, remade to his new heavens and earth. Psalm 24 Verse 1, the earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and all those who dwell in it. And so we have been born into this world, into his creation, and we must serve him. We must treasure him and value him. Let's go back to our text and pick up the remaining verses. In verses 18, I want to drop on down from 18 all the way to 23. 18 begins... And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him if indeed, he says, if indeed you continue in the faith. Don't ever give up because there is a clause. It's that little tiny two-letter word. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel, that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Treasure him, value the gospel, esteem his body, the church. Francis Chan, in his latest book, Letters to the Church, page 140, here's what he says. I I find it to be very true. We have created a culture of non-committed Christians that avoid suffering for Jesus because we don't treasure him enough. We want Jesus, but there is a lot of things we want more in this life than serving him. Did, Did you pick up on that? And then he goes into the illustration of the good news of Jesus. The good news of Jesus is placed on par we, we Americans, we, we feel like we're entitled to 
what we've worked hard for. We're entitled to do what we want to when we want to. And we live that way. And if it means Jesus takes a second uh, seat while we claim he's number one in our life, well, then Jesus, just take a second seat because I do what I want to when I want to. And that is just wrong. And so he says, the good news of Jesus is placed on par with other types of good news. Good news. I'm getting married. We're having a baby. I added the Patriots won the Super Bowl. There's a lot of good news. But don't put, don't put that good news on an equal plane with the good news of Jesus Christ. And this is what he's saying. So we're going to go bicycle riding next Sunday and miss church. We're going to go motorcycling next Sunday and miss church. We're going snow skiing next Sunday and miss church. And so travel. We're going to go check out the world in the south, by the way. You're either up in the mountains or down to the beach because you're right close to both. And so any good news, that's our good news. Do we honestly think that Jesus is going to tolerate that nonsense at the judgment day? That we gave our life to He gave His life for us, and we gave our life to Him, and He takes a second seat while we go do what we want. God Almighty doesn't have to put up with that. Is that a good point? I, I, I believe it is. In other words, we value and esteem us. And we say we put Jesus first. Jesus even said, Matthew 6, to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. But that's not what we do. We, we're, we're privileged and blessed people in America. We go seek these things. And we have not put the kingdom first. And we're in trouble. We are in trouble. If Jesus isn't Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. We claim that we love him and put him first. God became flesh crucified for our sins, rose from the grave, and he is returning to judge the world. Other kinds of good news stir... Listen, this is why we're in trouble. Other kinds of good news stir our emotion more than the good news of Jesus Christ. And that's why American churches are in trouble. Think of how insulting this kind of attitude must be to God. The almighty, all-knowing, all-powerful God who spoke the universe into being sent his son to die a criminal's death to give us life. And it's like we wanted a savior, but we don't want that nonsense that he's Lord of my life. My dear, all of this that we have studied in Colossians 1 and will study in the letter should cause us to drop to our knees and weep like a baby. It should cause us to want to get to our knees and worship him or do both. But to stay home and get all that laundry done and not come worship God. Stay home and catch up on my Facebook account. That's nonsense to a holy God. That's nonsense. Many of you, I don't expect to see many hands, but I may be fooled. How many of you uh, like to watch NASCAR? You you like the races, all right? Okay, about what I thought. 
There's about three hands raised. Uh, I lived in Martinsville, Virginia for 11 years and, and, and got to go over to the racetrack for the races when it got rained out and people would give me tickets <laughs> because they got to go back to work. They got to leave. Hey, you want to go to race? And so Monday, I get to go to race. Pretty good system, isn't it? Kind of just hang out at the exit of the NASCAR track parking lot. Okay. I don't watch it. I, I did watch it when I first moved to Martinsville because I lived so close to the track, I could raise the windows of my house and hear the roar of the engines and while I watched it on TV. That was pretty good. But nevertheless, there are stages to win in pre-qualifying. The first qualifying elimination is 25 minutes long. 24 cars that post the fastest single lap time from the first qualifying round, they advance to the second round to continue the qualification process. The second qualification elimination round is 10 minutes long, and the 12 cars that post the fastest single lap time advance to the third and final round. The third and final qualifying round is five minutes long, and the fastest single lap time determines the uh, positions of the first 12 cars, and those drivers and those mechanics that build that car Everything depends on them. Because if the driver is off, he can have the best car and lose. If the mechanics are off, you can have the best driver and they could lose the qualifying pole position. Now, I said all that to say this. Colossians 1.12, And giving you joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. Now, let me break that down by using different translations. The Living Application Bible says, who has enabled you to share in the inheritance. God. King James Version. He made us to be partakers in the inheritance. Christianity is not a works-based salvation. It's not a works-based salvation. Oh, we do not earn our qualifying place in heaven. We do not earn our pole position to get into the pearly gates after the judgment. 2 Corinthians 3, 5. Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God who has made us adequate as servants of a new covenant. Did you hear that? Did you catch that phrase? That he made us adequate? It's a gift. And he made us adequate to be servants. Servants. How are you specifically serving Jesus? Well, I'm a good person. I'm a good neighbor. How are you specifically serving Jesus in the kingdom? The church, his bride, that we might be a new covenant. We're not playing church. Let me read that last scripture, that uh, Revelation 1 5 through 8, where it says, And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of kings on earth, 
to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Praise God is right. Praise his name. And this is the great God, our hero, the supremacy of Christ that we celebrate today in the kingdom. I extend an invitation today that I believe is the invitation of Christ. And that is for all men and women to come and experience this joy, to experience this kingdom. To, we, we drive up and down a highway and see church signs advertising what's going on inside, and we make judgments. No, uh, I don't believe in that. No, don't want that. And we fail to see what Jesus has done for us as our hero. And we have opportunity today to come unto him and say, I'm the lowly, you're the exalted, you died for me. And I want, I want your sacrifice to stand good for me. Praise God.